they may have been mean, but Team Green were denied victory by the all-conquering Yamahas at Suzuka. Welcome to Bike Life. Let's go! Yes, this is episode 71 of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101 as we look back on one of the jewels in the motorcycle racing crown last weekend, the Suzuka 8 Hour, and boy, did it deliver. Um, and it delivered all kinds of weather, all kinds of action, and all kinds of drama as the number 21 Yamaha Factory Racing R1 took victory for the fourth consecutive year uh, in the hands of Alex Lowe's, Michael Vandermark, and Katsuki Nakasuga. Um, we will discuss all of the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows, no pun intended, of the 8 Hour last weekend over the course of this week's show. Uh, we'll discuss all the stories as uh, Jonathan Ray and Team Green came up short in their search for a historic victory. Uh, we'll talk about Honda's attempts to take the tree. They very much went about it a different way to their rivals. Uh, Suzuki's efforts, how they very much came unstuck in the first hour of the race. Um, and all the other stories to come from what was an incredible sporting spectacle, um, which ended at nightfall at Suzuka on Sunday night. We'll also uh, take you through the big stories of the week. There aren't many, but the biggest story of all surrounds the uh, Endurance World Championship and a new round that's added to the calendar from next winter. And we'll look ahead to this weekend with BSB returning at the fastest circuit of them all, Thruxton, and MotoGP returning at one of its most popular venues at Bruno. And joining me to look back on all that's gone this weekend and look ahead to what's coming up, um, is a man who's actually going to be trackside at Bruno himself to take it all in. It's Andre Harrison. Welcome, Dre. I'm on holiday by the time you listen to this. Go me. Um, you can't see it, but I'm currently roasting in the middle of the Czech yeah. Republic. It's a, fun, it's a fun time for all involved, especially me. But uh, yes, for, for the first time in over 160 episodes of Doing Bike Live on various platforms, we're actually reviewing an endurance race. Take that, Speedway fans! Ha! Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I know. Um, I, yeah, I know you're desperate for us to do a uh, Speedway show, all you Speedway fans. You know, both of you. Um, but um, uh-huh. we'll, we'll we'll no doubt get to it eventually when we can uh, when we can pull Bex out of her pub to get her back on the show. We'll uh, we'll devote a bit of time to it. Um, but um, yeah, this uh, this is one of the great races, not just in motorcycle racing, but in motorsport, and uh, it certainly delivered last weekend. And we'll get into that um, in just a moment. Uh, first of all, though, let's tell you about all the places you can find us. Uh, starting on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, if you want to follow us individually, at Lewis 23 or at Harrison101HD, um, if you want to follow us. Um, on YouTube, it's youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. You can still find regular show highlights slash previews over there, as well as Dre's latest Google Hangout from this previous Wednesday night as well. Um, so do check that out. Um, if you wish, uh, you can also find all of this on our website, it's motorsport101.com. Um, and if you like us so much that you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both of our weekly shows, apologies you didn't get early access to this show last week. We had very good excuses for it. Um, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, backing us at just $1 earns you early access to both of our weekly shows for this week only. Um, normally it's the $5 tier. Backing us at the $10 level earns you access to our Discord server and the ability to listen to these shows live as they are recorded, um, which is a, which is a hoot, uh, it has to be said. Uh, that includes this week's um, episode 153 of Motorsport 101, um, which is live right now. By the time you hear it to this, it will be live. I know that because it's my responsibility to upload it. Um, hey. And um, 
And it has to be said, Dre, uh, as much as about one on one podcasts go, this was probably the Buddha best. <sighs> you had to do it, didn't you? So you was it you just me to... that found that massively entertaining? You had to do it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, yeah, long-suffering co-host's head explodes at the prospect <laughs> of bad puns. Um, yes, it was a bit of a running theme for the episode. Spoiler alert. Uh, RJ was fantastic, and it, and I don't mean that in no good way. But yes, episode 153 of Motorsport 101 is now live. Um, bit of an up and down episode this time. Obviously, all the talk from Hungary coming through. Obviously, sad, sad to talk about in the opening of segment of Sergio Marchionne's tragic passing for the Ferrari and Fiat Chrysler Group um, was it was in there to start. But across the Hungarian Grand Prix, which was a bit of a topsy turvy weekend in general, uh, a, a heavily rain affected qualifying session. Lewis Hamilton basically spoiling the Ferrari party before it even started. And the race itself, which involved Hamilton winning by a country mile, Valtteri Bottas basically becoming the world's most effective wingman, trying to hold off Sebastian Vettel yet again, unsuccessfully. Um, and yes, basically, the Finns bottle falling out when Daniel Ricciardo mm. came to town. But uh, all of that, some, some great performances in the midfield, like Pierre Gasly finishing in sixth place as well, becoming the tyre management king at the moment, so going longer than his than anybody else. And yeah, overall, a uh, Pretty messy finish to an otherwise quite tame Hungarian Grand Prix. All of that is covered, um, as well as the big news regarding Force India entering administration and some of the kooky people trying to buy it out. Um, all of that and much more in episode 153 of Motorsport 101, which is available right now. Mm, and more on episode 154 um, at the end of this show. Uh, that's coming next week. Now, let's get on with our review of the Suzuka 8 Tower that took place. Uh, last weekend it's a bit of a week-long event really the eight hour in terms of the way mm. the weekend or the way the event is structured because they have um, qualifying sessions across Thursday and Friday and they would normally have the top 10 Super Bowl shootout uh, trial Super Bowl trial as they call it uh, on the Saturday now that didn't happen this time because of um, a typhoon that was uh, rampaging its way towards the area um, on the Saturday. think Formula One 2004 you just about got the idea um, and as a result, they abandoned any ideas of a top 10 trial altogether and simply took the times from the Friday qualifying sessions. Um, Dre, which was good news for Team Green and the number 11 count was like, mm. it was Jonathan Ray had curb stomped the rest of the field into oblivion earlier that day. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where we saw Friday qualifying. It was all relatively docile until Jonathan Ray literally stunned the entire paddock into submission with the fastest ever lap of Suzuka on two wheels. Um, what was it? 205.1, yeah. I think it was in the end. Um, yeah, it was a second faster than any other rider on any other bike in the field. Yes, and beat and uh, obliterating the 206 dead that Polo Spagaro had set a couple of years back, which was the all-time Suzuka lap record at that point in time. He'd taken nine temps off of it. And uh, if you want to see the lap in full, you can on Jonathan Ray's Twitter account. Uh, it's not the usual sort of lap because it was filmed via, via the circuit CCTV footage. Yeah. But uh, you, you could see Jonathan Ray's entire record-breaking lap in full from a very unique perspective. Well, you don't normally get in bike racing off the CCTV cameras and in color as well. Very useful. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it was a ludicrous qualifying session. Even even during final qualifying as well, um, Jonathan went out on a qualifier. Because that, that, that race lap I was talking about was not a qualifying tire. Yeah. That was a race tire, let me point out. The qualifier is allegedly a second lap faster. 
Ray goes out on it, sets a decent low 206, and then says, um, guys, the bike's got too much grip. Yeah, quite weird to say, but the bike has too much grip. Yeah, clearly. Um, not you got you got the wrong Kawasaki guy. <laughs> but uh, no, he was he was told straight up. Like he said to them, listen, like the bike's got so much grip, I can't turn in properly, and it was actually slowing him down because the the bike just didn't want to lean in because. Yeah, I'm the, surprised. So I'm much- surprised. Team yeah. Green, his engineers didn't just take one look at the timing screens and just say, "Look, just park it, Johnny. You're good." It's like, Johnny, we Johnny, we've got this. We've got this. Like Tucker is not going to beat you, okay? But uh, Jonathan insisted he went back out on a race rear tyre, and that's when the 2.056 came in, which was the official pole position time. Again, obliterating the old pole position record that had been set previously. Um, Haslam had a, had a 2.059 in his own right as well. So, yeah, that bike was very, very uh, laid waste to the rest of the field. It was incredible. We're just trying to uh, bring up, as we speak to you, the uh, the overall qualifying um, classifications just to um, explain how it goes in qualifying because there are three riders for each team um, a red rider a blue rider and a yellow rider um, that wasn't my attempt at a tongue twister that's genuinely how it works um, and uh, they essentially average out the best lap time across their three riders um, so Jonathan Ray was the yellow rider for Kawasaki and he did a 205.168 uh, Haslam uh, his teammate did a 206.6 um, and Watanabe, yeah. the third of the riders, he did a 207.5. Um, so the next best rider hmm. in any of the three qualifying sessions um, was the... Let's see who it was. It was on the 21 Yamaha. It was their blue rider, which was Nakasuga, who did a 206.2. Um, that was as close as anybody got to him. Um, Lowe's did a 206.6 and Vandermark a 207.4. Um and, and that was about it. There was only one other rider in any of the teams across any of the qualifying sessions who also did a 206, and that was Takahashi on the 33 Honda, the Red Bull Honda with Japan bike, ah, yes. who, uh, who did a 206.7. Um, everyone else was 207s, 208s, and slower. Um, so even with um, Watanabe on the Kawasaki doing a 207.5, it was still, their average lap time was a 206.4. Um, which put them on pole by a third of a second from the 21 Yamaha and 0.9 from the 33 Honda. Um, so Jonathan Ray very much pulling his weight um, on the uh, number 11 team green Kawasaki, which brought us to race day because, as I mentioned, the top 10 trial didn't happen. There was uh, a typhoon in the area, so they decided um, not to bother. They decided to batten down the hatches and get out of Dodge, basically, um, and come back on Sunday for the race. Um, and... <laughs> I have to say, Dre, uh, as great as a race and as incredible a spectacle this is, this is a race with some of the great talents of motorcycle racing, some of the great machinery and technology, some of the great engineers. It is one of the great sporting spectacles, um, as far as I'm concerned, in motorsport. But I do find something awfully charming about a race of this magnitude and of this kind of skill, which begins with all of the 55 machines that are lined up in this race parked up against the pit wall with their riders at the other side of the racetrack up against the grandstand essentially have an egg and spoon race run to their bikes and off they go i don't know about you but i just find something incredibly charming and exciting and entertaining about that kind of start to a motorcycle race I, I love it. It's old, it's it's classic old school Le Mans at its finest. Uh, back in those days when he, then they used to run over to the other side of the grid and hop in the cars, and that's how they started. Um, it's very old school in that sense, and I love it. I think it's a great spectacle. Um, who can forget last year when Leon Haslam was looking the other way as the, yeah. as the lights went out to officially start the race, and he effectively lost five seconds off the, off the grid after all his hard work. 
um, after all of that, which I thought was hilarious. Luckily, he paid attention this time round after getting rinsed for it on Twitter. Yeah, he was in the build up to this race. Um, so yeah, Haslam's clearly been learning second time round, bless him. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fantastic spectacle, a real bit of old school tradition, and I hope it never goes away because I think it's fantastic. It's a it great is. look. It's brilliant to watch. Of course, the the Japanese crowd in that packed grandstand on the main straight obviously get well into it as well. Oh uh, yeah, which is really great. Um, Leon Haslam did make the same mistake as this time. He was paying attention as the as the race got underway um, at around whatever it was half past three. Um, UK time in the morning, so half past sort of two in the uh, in the afternoon over in Japan, um, and he didn't really lead for very long. It has to be said, even though he did uh, get to his motorcycle first, um, because Takumi Takahashi, the reigning um, All Japan Road Racing Superbike champion, um, who obviously knows Suzuka like the back of his hand, um, carves him up going into turn two um, <laughs> right at the start. Because um, let's point out for those that weren't aware of watching this live. This was a race that started in wet conditions um, oh, yeah. uh, on Sunday because it had been raining, obviously. This aforementioned typhoon and all the rain that it brought with it left the circuit pretty wet um, when the race got underway. Uh, and Takahashi clearly feeling the most confident. He was building up a bit of an early lead early on on that 33 Honda over Haslam. There was a three-way battle for second between Haslam and... Um, Alex Lowe's, who was the uh, start rider for the uh, 21 Yamaha, and Sylvain Gintoli on the uh, number 12 uh, Yoshimura Suzuki. Um, now, Ginters was the first to switch to Slicks. He was the uh, guy that braved it earliest and took the lead um, as a result of this, um, ahead of uh, Ray and Vandermark, who took over from their respective teammates when they came in for Slicks at around the 40-minute mark um, in the race. Um, and... They kind of set the tone, didn't they, Dre? Both Ray and Vandermark with their moves on Gintoli to take what became the lead once the 3300 pitted for Slicks. Um, mm-hmm. Incredible overtaking um, as Ray just swoops around the outside of Ginters into the final chicane, which almost frightens Sylvan off the road. And Vandermark then ducks up the inside of him to take what became second place. Incredible moves from both. And it kind of set the tone for what became... Although it was a sprint race between the... Uh, sorry, although it was an endurance race of eight hours between the Yamaha and the Kawasaki, they were racing as if they were in a 10-lap sprint superbike race. Yeah, it, it, it felt like you were watching a sprint race for, like, three hours. It was fantastic. Um, like They were the never early... more than a second or two apart. Yeah, like it was crazy. No one could break the other. It was like, like we were fixated on the early battles and the early goings. They're so evenly matched. Um, they were only stopping within a lap of each other. They were all on similar strategies. It became a battle of the pit crews. It was a battle on the track. It was, you know, we had aggressive overtakes early, which you would never expect in the early goings of an endurance race, where you, you know you you can't win an endurance race in the first hour, but you sure as hell can lose it in the first hour. And uh, my word, it was a sensational uh, early going in this race. Again, like you had three factory teams right at the front all trading blows of each other um and acting like again it was like the last two laps of a superbike race you would never guess that by watching it but uh or you ever guess it was an endurance race by just, just by catching it in, in in real time it was an incredible spectacle it was brilliant it was brilliant to watch as uh, as ray and vandermark um traded the lead as they navigated their way through traffic um it appeared as if the Yamaha R1, the 21, was much quicker down the straights than the Kawasaki because a number of times uh, Vandermark was simply just drafting past the Kawasaki down the straights and Ray would then take him back into the chicane. Um, We had Jonathan Ray 
pretty much putting his World Superbike Race 2 Lap 1 antics into practice at Suzuka with the way he navigated his way through traffic. Um, just some of the moves he was putting on to basically overtake the backmarkers, some of the slower riders, was incredible. Uh, just oh, Jesus, uh, places yeah. that just aren't overtaking spots where Ray was just carving these guys up. These these riders who are lapping several seconds a lap slower and you can easily trip over one of these and lose the race um, as one of their key rivals did. We'll tell you about that in a second. Um, but that overtaking that Ray often does at the start of a World Superbike race really did um, pay him off here because he was able to put that kind of overtaking into practice in an endurance race to minimize the time he was losing in traffic. And it was often the 21 Yamaha that would lose the most time as they went through traffic. Um, Ray was also brilliant on outlaps um, on new tires and heavy tanks of fuel. He would often pull out a few seconds over the 21 Yamaha of Vandermark um, whilst trying to get up to speed out of the pit lane, um, mm-hmm. which was impressive. At this point, though, Gintoli has lost um, any kind of hope of winning the race for Yoshimura Suzuki um, because he has tangled with a bat marker. Um, and Dre, Sylvan is great to listen to whenever he speaks in interviews. He's always pretty much a pretty chilled, relaxed guy. Uh, very typically French, even though he has a bit of a yes. uh, quasi-French Essex accent. Um, he really does. But um, <laughs> that was about, I have to say, the interview with him was about as livid as I've seen Sylvain look. I've never seen Ginters look that angry in all the years I've been watching him race. He was, he was known for being ridiculously laid back, even going back to his brief spell in MotoGP in the mid-2000s. Um, yeah, like, he's he's not normally a guy who loses his race. He is. He's, he's got, he must have a pretty good reason to. And uh, he was absolutely livid about getting tangled up with a bat marker like that. Um, he, he, had, he had a massive strop in the pits. Um he was rinsed for it in the commentary booth by Jack Burnicle and Julian Ryder, yeah. which was ahead of, which was hilarious in its own right. Um, but uh, yeah, Ginters was not best pleased about the situation. They'd have, they'd have effectively lost any chance at the win after that one. And yeah, Ginters had such a big strop; he didn't even get back on the bike when he was supposed to. They let their test rider have another go instead because, like Ginters was, and I quote, in the middle of a strop. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of set the tone, really. Yeah, Ginters did go out later on. Yeah, it was. Uh... It was funny to listen to Julian Ryder saying, you know, I, yeah, he, it seems as if uh, Gintoli has gone oh, de combat um, with uh, with the current situation, given that he's been essentially dropped to the back of the field by uh, by the fact that their Suzuki, their, their Suzuki uh, GSX R1000 had to be pulled into the uh, garage for repairs uh, after he mm-hmm. got tangled up with the pack marker. Uh, inside the first hour and a half um, of the race, um, Bradley Ray did eventually go back out on that Suzuki and uh, and bring it somewhere back into contention, but they wouldn't end up finishing um, anywhere near the front of the field. There probably would have been a podium for them um, the way the race went later on. They did end, end up clawing their way up to 10th um, by the end of the race, which is uh, a good result, I considered, back. given um, how far back they were. Um, but yeah, while this is all going on, the Kawasaki Yamaha war is continuing um, with Vandermark handing over to Lowe's at around the hour and a half mark. Um, in the race, so uh, pretty much a near 100-minute stint for Vandermark, although he had pitted for slicks. Um, he hadn't got off the bike. Um, that was at that point he handed over to Lowe's, and the uh, the Vandermark-Ray battle became a Haslam-Lowe's battle on track again, without either of them really um, falling too far apart from each other. Um, we saw an incredible move from Lowe's up the inside of Haslam as they went side-by-side side through 130R. Um, which is not a corner you go side by side through easily. Uh, we just need to look at some of the uh, classic Formula One accidents around that corner to um, to tell you how dangerous that corner mm-hmm. can be. 
Um, we also saw Lowe's diving up the inside of Haslam into turn two, into turn three, the uh, start of the uh, S's that snake up the hill towards Degna. Um, some incredible overtakes between the two. Um, but again, they stayed pretty much nose to tail until a safety car came out uh, in the third hour of the race, um, which forced both of the leaders to pit. They pitted together on the same lap uh, with Ray and Vandermark taking over. Um, but this brought the 33 Honda back in uh, because they'd fallen thick end of a minute back as they just simply didn't have the race pace um, to keep up with the Kawasaki or the Yamaha. Um, and this was where Takaki Nakagami handed back over to Takahashi. Nakagami had been on that bike for two hours. Um, after Takahashi pitted for slicks at the end of the uh, first hour, handed over to Nakagami, and Nakagami didn't give the bike back again until the end of the fourth, uh, the end of the third hour of the race, um, which was incredible. Um, but this was really, Dre, where the strategy of the 33 Honda started to come to light, where they clearly mm. didn't have the race pace of the... 11 Kawasaki or the 21 Yamaha. Um, but it was clear that Honda were trying to buy themselves an extra pit stop. Yeah, they were they were deliberately running about two seconds or so off the pace in the hope that the extra fuel saved by running less aggressively on their engine over the course of a be able to buy them a fuel stop. And it did, thanks to the help of some safety cars later on in the race, which we'll get to. But that that was the plan. And the plan was pit less than the other guys, save the 30 to 40 seconds it takes for a pit stop during during this race. And basically, hope you can, you can win the day by not losing too much pace on track itself. And uh, it nearly worked, believe it or not. Mm, it did, on that it later. Really work. Yeah, we'll come back to that as they, they come back into contention later in the race. Um, we're approaching the halfway stage of the race now um, in the fourth hour of the race. Jonathan Ray's actually got his lead up to a, a almost a chasm-like lead of five seconds um, over Michael Vandermark. This is nearly four hours into the race and there's only five yeah. seconds between the, uh, the 11 and the 21. Um, and we'll talk about this a bit more when we discuss Yamaha a bit later on about how few mistakes they've made over the course of their Suzuka eight-hour programs um, over four years now. Um, and in a race that's coming down to such fine margins when there's only five seconds between the two leading bikes. Sometimes it only takes one mistake in an eight-hour period to cost you a race. Um, and just as we're approaching halfway, Dre, we're three hours 44 into the race. Um, Vandermark pits and hands over to Lowe's. Um, one lap later, Jonathan Ray comes in um, to hand his bike back over to Haslam, as was the plan with Kawasaki, but it appeared that they hadn't quite got their sums right at Kawasaki. They hadn't quite calculated it correctly because basically coming into the pit entry, Jonathan Ray is essentially freewheeling his bike out of petrol and half a minute is lost. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. And you, and you can probably see right there, that's when Kawasaki effectively lost the race. It was right there and then Jonathan was running with a comfortable lead. Well, comfortable for an endurance race anyway. Um... He was running with a comfortable lead, comes out of the final chicane, and they cut to him, and, they, and I realize he's going very slowly coming into the pits. And yeah, they'd run out of fuel, and Ray is basically pushing the bike down the pit lane, freewheeling it, hoping he can gather enough momentum to they're come not, down the pit lane. They're lucky it happened there. Yeah, if that happens a corner back, they're, pr they're probably having to be rescued and then pushed back into the pit lane, and they're effectively going to be two or three laps down by the time they get it back to the pits again. Um, so if anything, Kawasaki was probably a little bit too on the nose with their figures on this one. They were, they were just slightly out, and they you know, that extra 10 seconds it would have taken for them to get to the pit lane 
effectively cost them the race. It cost them very, very dearly indeed. And yeah, they were they, that that was the beginning of the end for Kawasaki's hopes of trying to get the victory in the end. But uh, a, 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 a fatal error on that one for the Kawasaki team. It cost them 30 seconds. It put them back about 45 off the lead in 21. And it, it basically put the Yamahas on in clear air with no real threats for a yeah, little while. Uh, they, this is at around the halfway stage of the race. So as the race reaches halfway, the 21 Yamaha is leading. The 33 Honda, the Red Bull Honda, um, which uh, has Nakagami back on board, as I mentioned, is now up to second. Um, obviously, the safety cars have helped them uh, come back into the mix. Um, into the fifth hour, then, Vandermark and Ray regain uh, or retake position on their bikes um, an hour after jumping on it. So they did an hour stint, and at four, four hours 45, they're back on board again. But this is just as rain is starting to fall um, for the next uh, sort of chapter in this compelling race, um, which mm-hmm. was by this point running in fully dry conditions, obviously, after it had dried out uh, several hours prior. It rains again. Um, and we see the quote-unquote other factory Honda, the 634 Musashi Hart Pro Bike, um, suffering a big crash at Degna 1. Ryo Mizuno, the Japanese uh, test rider who was on their bike at the time, um, crashes out, and he's, he needs basically he needs trackside medical attention to get him out of the way. Uh, race direction, have no option but to bring out the safety car, um, which again was good news for the other Honda, uh, the 33 bike. Um, and at the time... Um, we thought that it was the two safety cars that had really shafted Kawasaki um, because of something, a very important detail we hadn't seen on screen at this stage, um, where we essentially saw that Kawasaki on the number 11 were now a lap down um, mm-hmm. with Jonathan Ray, who'd come into the pits and handed over to Kazuki, Kazuma Watanabe, uh, their third rider, the rider who was partnering Haslam and Ray uh, at Team Green. Um it soon became clear, Dre, why they'd lost essentially a lap. Uh, because in that heavy rain, Kawasaki had taken the rather bold decision, presumably themselves, trying to make up some time after their early delay. They were trying to keep Ray out on slicks. And it so soon as hell backfired, didn't it? Yeah, Jonathan Ray flips his bike over and crashes behind the safety car, effectively losing them a lap and inevitably to you know, any real chance of the victory at all if it, had, if it hadn't already gone in in their first era with the with the fuel mix-up uh it was amazingly well not amazingly if you were watching the race due to british Eurosport's insistent need on that commercial break every yeah. 10 minutes um it was not it was not on tv when it happened and uh it, 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 we found out via twitter um via the bsb twitter account that had guys down there following the event because of all the bsb participation in it of course yeah we didn't didn't see it until the uh, on the hour update that they played in yeah exactly so we we missed it and yeah it turns out ray had had crashed the bike well with kawasaki's insistence to stay out on slicks um so yeah it turns out that uh he had an awful accident he'd he'd wrecked it behind the safety car hauled over it and asked chicane and by all accounts, that was it for Kawasaki. They'd lost the lap. They'd lost another half lap by basically the revolving two safety car rule. You're not allowed to catch up to a safety car. You can only join the back of another one as the two safety cars rotate around the lap. Um, so that's why bikes were being held at the end of the pit lane as well. So by the time it, 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 it all shaken out, Jonathan Ray had effectively lost a, a lap and a half due to the, the crash. 
um, and the pit lane change to from slicks to wet tires again. Uh, like it's clear, Kawasaki's logic was keep him out in the hope yeah. it stops raining and he could, but you don't have to go in and change yeah, you tires. Save a, save a pit stop, yeah, by not having to go in for wets and then back onto slicks again. Um, exactly, and, and in work. the position they were in, um, having you know lost lost half a minute to the 21 Yamaha. They needed to try something, I suppose, to try and claw themselves back into contention again. Um, and the range has clearly got way too heavy for them because um, when, when you see the accident, which happened at Spoon, um, they're, they're already under safety car. Um, so, so Jonathan mm-hmm. Ray is going around at like, half speed or a quarter speed. Quarter um, speed, yeah. And he's not even on the throttle. And and the, the, the rear just comes round like a Speedway bike. The rear just basically yeah. swaps out on him. And, th- and throws him off um and nothing really uh, jonathan ray did wrong um and he He's said after the race that he had been um keen to come in for wet um but his team's pit board was telling him to stay out and um, again um so as not to lose too much time they didn't want to essentially lose a lap by pitting under safety car and having to wait for the next safety car to come round again uh, before they could go back out on track but as it turned out because the uh, the Kawasaki had to go into the pit into the garage, should I say, to be repaired, whilst Watanabe jumped on, the timing was awful anyway. Because just as that eleven uh, Kawasaki was getting released back onto the track, the race went green again. Um, so yep. they, so they lost even more time than they would have done. Because it's not like they fed back out onto the track under safety car; they fed back out onto a green racetrack, um, yep. which, which was a nightmare for the eleven. There was one other key incident that happened about, during this safety car period because they were. There were two safety cars. There was the one that came up when the rain first started to fall. Um, they um, they went green again. Then after about 10 minutes, the safety car came back out because presumably the 11 Kawasaki or another bike that had crashed had spilled oil all the way down the back straight to 130R and all the way into yep. the pit lane. Um, so the safety car had to come out again. It was during these two safety car periods that we had a very uh, terrifying incident happen uh, around about uh, halfway through the sixth hour of the race mm-hmm. uh, we're down the main straight Dre I-, I don't know quite how I could describe this whether this was simply one rider under safety cars five and a half hours into what is obviously a very fatiguing and tiring race just simply was looking down and not paying attention that's how it looked to me the riders seemed to be looking down at his dashboard and not up ahead but under safety car, down the main straight, he plows straight into it. was the rider on the number 80 BMW plows straight into the back of the 43 Honda. Um, a remarkably escaped any serious injuries. I'm still not quite sure how. Me neither. Um, that was a hellacious accident. And, like, you think it's not a big deal because of the lack of speed, but the way that bike just flipped over, it was like he was being pile-driving into yeah. the dirt. It was ridiculous. It was a... It was an awful-looking accident. I'm very, very lucky that uh, no one was seriously hurt as a, as a result of it. It, it was nasty. Um, yeah, um, just a freak accident behind the safety car. I think they were just about ready to get going again. I think we were about a couple of laps away from, from green flag conditions again, and then that brought out the safety car for even longer because, yeah, it was just an awful-looking accident. I mean, I just basically getting plowed into the rear. Um, a, a full racing, no, yeah, not full racing speed, but still just a freak accident behind the safety car. Like the number forty-three Honda goes completely arse over tail, basically, and mm. oh, awful looking accident. Luckily, both guys okay. Yeah, thankfully, uh, any serious injuries um, were avoided. Um, now the race resumed um, in green flag conditions for the final time. There were no more safety cars from this point on, um, with an hour forty-seven to go. 
At this stage, PJ Jacobson is now on the 33 Honda, having taken over from Nakagami um, and leads the race. So this is where the 33 Honda's strategy really does uh, become clear uh, because they've saved a pit stop and are now leading the race on wet tyres. Um, and with an hour and a quarter to go, the number 11 Kawasaki um, is the first to go onto slicks. They obviously have the most to gain because they're running now down in third position. What an RV hands back over to Leon Haslam again. Mm-hmm. Um, Van der Mark, who has now taken the lead from, from Jacobson, took the lead pretty much as soon as the race went green again with his superior pace. He hands over to Lowe's. Um, but with so much time to go, it's clear that they still have another pit stop left. Jacobson yeah. comes in for slicks with just over an hour to go, puts Nakagami back out on their bike, and that Honda is fueled to the end of the race. The 21 Yamaha is not. And uh, Dre, that essentially leaves Alex Lowe's with a very simple task over the next uh, 45 minutes. He needs to pull out one minute over the 33 Honda to win that race and allow himself a splash and dash. And he did it in some some sensational style, didn't he? Yeah, a good three seconds a lap faster than the Honda in the set in the in the final um, in the in the final you know areas of the race, the final hour of the race, as it was starting to get dark at Suzuka. Alex Lowe's was his absolute finest. He he was just putting a bucket load of pace and bucket load of pace and pressure um, over. Uh, over everybody else in the field there, especially that number 33 Honda as my microphone almost dropped off the table. You see that, just try and start that out a little bit. But, uh, but uh, yeah, Lowe's was fantastic. He, he, he was sensational. I mean, props to Honda. They had to do something different to have a chance to win this. And again, as mentioned, they were very clever in the fact they were able to basically kill two birds with one stone by changing tyres of the wets and coming in for fuel at the same time because they were due at fuel stop anyway during that safety car. So they could avoid all the other factory teams that were coming in twice. But during that safety car period, they were able to save a stop. They, were, they basically got a lap back on the opposition by doing that. And uh, it very nearly paid off for them. But uh, Lowe's on that on that 21 Yamaha was just too strong, put out too much of an advantage um, over there. And uh, yeah, that's effectively what won Lowe's the race in the end. It shows how close it could have been, though, had that 33 Honda had a little bit more pace or had the Kawasaki been in contention because... Lowe's had to come in with just over 15 minutes to go um, in the race for a splash and dash. So that's how much mm-hmm. uh, that's how much fuel that they needed. And again, it shows how good a job Honda did on um, stretching their stints out and the fuel consumption on that bike. In that, you know, they did they went they didn't pit too far apart. Um, all told, I mean, Van der Mark pitted to hand over to Lowe's um, with you know about an hour and a quarter to go. Um, it was only a further 10 minutes um, when the 33 Honda came in, but they managed to get to the end. Um, the Yamaha could not. So had there been a little bit more um, in it, or had there been a little less in it, should I say, on pace, the Honda had been a little bit more competitive, they could have been in a position to really put Yamaha under pressure, um, not just enforcing Lowe's to push even harder than he dared to pull the gap mm-hmm. out, but also they, the Yamaha might have had to overtake the Honda in the final clear stages of the race to win it. Exactly. Um, as it is, the, uh, the Yamaha was uh, able to pull out essentially a minute and a half um, over that Honda, came out with about a 30-second lead which it held to the end. Um, and before we talk about the riders and teams involved at the end of the race, Dre, um, let's talk about the end of the race in terms of what it's like as a spectacle. I think it's the first time you've watched it live. I've watched it live for a few yes. years now, the end of the race. Um, it, it's, it's quintessentially Japanese. Um, and, and it's a, I mean, it's just a country I love full stop, but uh, it was a brilliant spectacle. And in terms of just a flat-out sporting spectacle... Um, 
there's very little that matches that, is there? It's a it's a beautiful sight. It really is. Um, it gets dark. All the sp all the guys in the main grandstand get the glow sticks out. Degeneration X are surprisingly not in attendance yeah. um, during during the final of the race. But uh, the glow sticks come out. Um, the grandstands light up. The floodlights are fantastic. You know, all the bikes have got LEDs on them now, so you can see the numbers very visibly at night. Um, as well as obviously the lights they have themselves, they they have LEDs on the on the front of the bike, so you can clearly see the number as well. It is a beautiful spectacle. It really is. It's a wonderful finale to to a, a fantastic motor motorcycle race, a, a fantastic motorsport spectacle. And I have to come see this live one day because it, yeah, it is too. wonderful. It is it is ridiculous. It is a beautiful thing, and uh, yeah, it's it it, it it was wonderful to watch and. Yeah, it's it, it, it's 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 the perfect cherry on top for what's a fantastic race. It was it was fantastic. And in the end, blue was the color uh, for Yamaha. Although they weren't running in blue for the weekend, they were running in that gorgeous mm. anniversary red and white livery um, for this year. Alex Lowe's once again entrusted with uh, guiding that twenty-one Yamaha home um, through the final stint of the race. Uh, at one point, it looked like he'd missed the checkered flag um, because he uh, he essentially crossed the line with about a second to go and had to do another lap. Um, yep. to uh, to finish the race. He could have easily, given that he had such a lead, he could have just slowed down if he wanted to. Um, but he was clearly just so much in the zone, he just kept going at his normal pace and ended up having to do another lap again to uh, to win the race. Um, and, and win it, he did. And win it, Yamaha did. Um, and the first thing to point out, really, Dre, is, um, as, as you may have worked out, listeners, by the fact that we haven't mentioned his name yet, Katsuki Nakasuga did not ride over the course of the entire eight-hour race. He'd uh, suffered an accident in free practice um, which rendered him injured and unable to take part in the race itself on the Sunday. Um, so, essentially, Lowe's and Vandermark did it all on their own. Um, phenomenal teamwork, once again, from the 21 Yamaha. We, we've said before that over their three previous victories, whatever their rider lineup has been, um, Nakasuga has been involved in all four of them, by the way, and he's the first rider ever to win four consecutive Suzuka eight hours, so he deserves immense credit and praise for that. That's amazing. Um, but they've not made any mistakes, but really, across any of their three previous victories, and this time, even with a rider down, they still didn't miss a beat. No, um, Lowe's and Vandermark had to race for effectively four hours each. Um, they, they had to put the lion's share of the load on their backs, um, and they were magnificent. They did not put a foot wrong the entire race. They didn't. They maybe didn't quite have the ultimate pace that Jonathan Ray and Leon Haslam may have had Kawasaki, but it did not matter. They were unfazed by the fretting green. They just did their race. And you watch the eight hours again. They did not make a single mistake. They were flawless in, in their execution from strategy, from pit stops, from rider quality. And this is, again, this is Lowe's and Vandermark probably having to ride more than they would have done due to being a rider down on their team. And despite that, not a single lapse of concentration that made that led to any sort of mistake. They were absolutely flawless. Like, like it's no coincidence Yamaha's won this for four straight years. I cannot remember a single major error the 21 crew has ever made in any of their four victories as, as it happens. They are an incredible unit. And to do that for effectively 32 straight hours of racing is, is it's flawless. It's like watching Audi in the, in the four wheeled equivalent when, in when their peak, where they were virtually unstoppable. They are, 
they were just flawless out there and um, a thoroughly deserved victory, especially for Lowe's and Van Lamar, given how much they had to work um, in the context of their situation. But uh, yeah, flawless, fantastic performance from the Yamaha team and a much-deserved fourth straight Suzuka 8 hours victory. Yeah, they um, they, they were sensational, um, both Lowe's uh, and Vandermark. And as I mentioned, shout-out to Katz Nakasuga, who more yes. than played his part, not just in that weekend, but over the course of their four Suzuka 8-hour victories. He, he has been terrific. Um, and essentially what they did, Dre, is they, they forced Kawasaki in particular on the number 11 to have to put in a flawless 8-hour themselves to beat them. Uh, and they couldn't quite do it. Um, but but we have to we have to give a lot of praise here to Jonathan Ray in particular who who made this race in many respects what it was. Um, first of all, shout out to Jonathan Ray for giving us one of the most remarkable spectacles I've ever seen in a motorcycle race of the the sight of a rider who's competing in the race being interviewed from a paddling pool, um, as you do, which was hilarious um, as uh, as he took a, a well earned break between stints uh, in the what was essentially a bit of a paddling well, a paddling pool that was masquerading as an ice bath. Um, so uh, the uh, world feed commentators took it upon themselves to go and interview him um, of course. from from said paddling pool, which was brilliant. Um, but with his, not just because of who he is, it made the race because he's a world champion. He's the greatest superbike rider in the world. So inevitably, it's going to create interest. Um, it perhaps put Kawasaki into a position that they haven't been previously. They props wouldn't have been without Ray on board. They wouldn't have been as competitive and as close to winning the race as they were. Um, but in terms of everything he offered to this race, he fully bought into what this race was about. He embraced it. Um, he well and truly in, in, you know, embraced the challenge of an eight-hour endurance race. He took everything on board. He put his heart, body, and soul into it. And yes, Jonathan Ray ended up finishing along with his teammates, Haslam and Watanabe, in third place and didn't get the win that he and Kawasaki were desperate for. But Jonathan Ray put so much into that race trade that he deserves our utmost respect for it. It would have been very easy for Jonathan to half-ass this, um, given, you know, I'm, I'm sure being a three, most likely four by the end of the summer Superbike champion, could have easily had quite an arrogant approach to this to this, to this this weekend, given that, uh, you know, it's an exhibition event in the context of Ray's career. It's not his first priority. But he's taken the challenge on and he, he, he embraced it with both hands. He, he took the event seriously. He put everything into it. He, he was fully dedicated, fully committed. His, his overall ability was on full display. His pace was astonishing on that Kawasaki on several occasions. Um, he had more speed in him than anyone else on that track and out of the 100-plus riders that were down there that weekend. He was incredible. Um, but as you say, he, 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 he fully embraced the event. He fully embraced the culture. He fully embraced what this event means and what it stands for. And he could have very easily not done that. And, you know, riders have big egos, athletes have big egos, and it's it's, it's very easy to overlook those elements, um, those elements of the race itself. But Jonathan embraced it with both hands, and he made this race more watchable. People were tuning in to see how the world's best superbike rider was going to handle an endurance race. And we got a fantastic glimpse into that, even if... You know, he 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 was he was the unfortunate poster boy victim of a couple of really unlucky incidents for the Kawasaki. He still was a fantastic spectacle and and it played a key role in how the race played out in the end. So uh, yeah, my my eternal respect for Jonathan for that because uh, he could have very easily overlooked this, but uh, instead he he totally embraced it. 
And I'd like to think that what he's done this weekend and what the team have done along with Haslam and Watanabe is enough to convince them to have another go at it next year. We know Kawasaki will, obviously. Absolutely. Um, as all the Japanese factories are, they're desperate to win this race. They put everything into it. Um, but you'd like to think that having done what he's done this year, Jonathan Ray himself will want to be a part of this next year. And, and Kawasaki as a whole will have been very heartened by the teamwork that they saw between Ray and Haslam, who of course are going to be teammates at the World Superbike team next year. Um, it's clear they get on well. It's clear they work together very well. Um, and they did so um, last weekend. Jonathan Ray did um, earn one or two um, negative comments, particularly from the Yamaha camp. Alex Lowe's wasn't very happy with the moves that he was putting on, particularly that move we mentioned earlier on on Gintoli, um, to take the lead in the first hour, um, just after the change to Slicks. Um, mm. Lowe's felt that it was a little too aggressive, and in light of Ray's comments regarding his current World Superbike teammate, um, after Bruno, um, Lowe's wasn't particularly happy with those but hey I had in particular I personally did not see an awful lot wrong with it I thought it was aggressive I thought it was bold but I thought it was just about okay um, not dirty uh, no. no it certainly wasn't dirty from Jonathan Ray um, and um, as I mentioned it was it was moves like that and just his general approach to the event that, that really made this race what it was um, they finished on the podium outright they finished uh, just behind that 33 Honda the Red Bull Honda with Japan post bike um, which became the lone challenger, really, for the Honda factory once the uh, 634 Mashashi Heart Pro bike crashed out um, midway through once it started to rain. Um, and and as we mentioned earlier, Andre, they, they deserve <laughs> immense credit for the way they went about the race. It perhaps was a bit of a tortoise versus the hare kind of strategy in that they were trying to sort of save pit stops and um, try and win the race through fuel conservation, fuel consumption, rather than outright rapid pace. Um, but... The team of Takahashi, Takaki Akagami, of course, is a MotoGP rookie and did the lion's share of the running for the uh, for the number 33 Absolutely. during the race. Um, and PJ Jacobson did a terrific job. And we shouldn't forget with this team, they finished half a second off winning, the half a minute, should I say, off winning the outright race. And they lost the guy who was supposed to be their lead rider, Leon Camio, to injury a couple of weeks before the race happened. God damn it. Why did the ambulance chase have to get hurt now? Um, Simon was... It begs the yeah, question, can... what could they have done with Camier on the bike? Yeah, geez. Because the um, rider because... who replaced him, Jacobson, he only did that one-hour stint on the on the wets after the safety car. Yeah, and sadly, compared to the Yamahas, he was just slow, which is understandable given it was his first real run-in at Suzuka. It was a wet track, not going to be inspiring for confidence. And, you know, Bernicle and Ryder pointed out, are you sure it's a good idea to have you know, these two out there, like Jacobson out here now, given he had not run in the race at all before, and you put him out during the most treacherous part of the race. Probably not the best idea from the from, from the 33 crew on that one, but um, nevertheless, still a phenomenal performance. Takanakagami's stock will inevitably go up after this race. He put in a, a, a lion's share of the work. He was outrageously good all weekend long. His qualifying pace in particular was exceptional. Um, and yeah, he really did drag that out of Honda. It's a shame that, again, Leon Camier wasn't there because I think he would have inevitably got more runtime in there than what we saw with PJ Jacobson, who, you know, sh you know shame he was, in the he was thrown in under the lion's den there, really, in the context of what was going on around him. But that 33 team had two less pit stops than everybody mm. else in the field. Um, they didn't six have... pit stops in an eight-hour race. Yeah, very impressive indeed from Honda. Fantastic efficiency and conservation effort from Honda on that one. Um, uh, they never had the outright pace to challenge Yamaha and Kawasaki, and they, and they knew that going into it. So they had to do something different to try and win it. And that's what they did. They were able to run two less stops, 
than everybody else did, and it very nearly led you know led them to to an outright victory. Only a, a half a minute off the top, which is no shame whatsoever, given how brilliant this twenty one crew is. Honda pulled an absolute blinder out there with the team and the resources they had been given. They had done a very very impressive job indeed. Um, and yeah, like, like no wonder there is a lot of pressure yeah. on Honda now to run and to run a some sort of super team next year. They've already put they've already put feelers out there with the soon to be quote unquote retiring Danny Pedrosa for next year. So keep an eye on that one for early next year, especially given how the changes to the FIM uh, endurance calendar will be taking place next next year because. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of pressure on uh, on Honda to bring an even better team for next year. But second back of it's easy it's job. easy to look at it at first glance, and and I think there is a lot of merit in this argument that um, the the Honda itself, the Fireblade, had the pace to to go toe to toe with the, the Yamaha R1 and the Kawasaki ZX10R. But it, with all due respect to, I mean Nakagami, I think is a class rider as we know, as he's proven in MotoGP this year. But and Takahashi is the Japanese Superbike champion. Um, but when you look at that combination of, of Nakagami, Jacobson, and Takahashi, it simply does not match up to the sheer star power of Ray Haslam and Lowe's Vandermark, does it? Um, and and no. Honda, inevitably, given they own the circuit um, and have now had their trousers pulled down for four straight years by Yamaha, um, will be looking at that result, having lost out by just 30 seconds and thinking... If we had riders of their caliber, Yamaha and and, and um, Kawasaki's caliber on our bike, we'd have won it. Um, and I don't think they—it's a bit of a simplistic argument, but I don't think they'd be particularly unreasonable to think that, given um, how no. the race panned out in the end. So yeah, for next year, there will no doubt be um, an immense pressure within Honda to put a, as Dre mentioned, a super team together to ride that Honda Fireblade in the twenty nineteen. Just, just a thought. Just hour. a thought. What, just a thought. What if they brought a team of Mark Marquez, Danny Pedrosa, and Cal Crutchlow? Just given a the, thought. Give them the trophy, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> Hello. If, if that um, happens. But that's, again, that's it, it, it's our dream race. and it, it, it's, it's a fantasy argument we could have uh, on any bike live, given how, uh, uh, how great it is. But you could imagine amongst these factories, couldn't you? You could imagine that kind of team at Honda. Um, you could imagine a Yamaha team, even if they, even if Lowe's and Vandermark didn't come. And yeah, how do you dislodge a team that's ran together um, and won this race over the last several years? Winning but, formula. But but Yamaha could easily ask uh, Mr. V Rossi and M Vinales if they wanted to go at it. Um, uh, Rossi's never been against it. Rossi's won the race never... before. Yeah, Rossi's won it before. He's never been against the idea of coming back. He's been asked about this before, and I he distinctly just remember him saying. Yeah, the calendar is just a bit too finicky for him, and he's got other commitments like his ranch to get through as well. But uh, I don't think Rossi's ever been opposed to having another go if the circumstances changed. Just a force. Mm, absolutely. And uh, and yeah, there are there are so many potential super teams that you could put together in this race. And it just reflects, even the teams that we had this year, just reflects, and over the last few years, particularly with Honda bringing out Stoner a few years ago to race in this event, just how desperately... The Japanese factories want to win this race. It is everything to them. Oh god, yeah. Um, and um, I don't know if you saw the uh, the Twitter conversation involving uh, Julian Ryder in the pre run up to the race. Where what was it? Help me out here, Dre. Was it that the um, the value to a rider to win this race sometimes it is worth a some factory world superbike riders annual salary to win this race? Yeah. The bonus is off the charts. You are talking hundreds of thousands of pounds in bonus money. 
if you can bring it home for your factory because okay this isn't such a big deal in europe yet but this is massive in japan it's their biggest bike race of the year it's their le mans basically um so yeah julian Ryder said on twitter that the the win bonus for winning this is something similar to some factory superbike team's annual salary it's a huge potential bonus if they can win it for them so uh yeah, no pressure, fellas. But uh, if you fancy a big payday, you know, you know, bring it home. I'm just throwing it out there, you know. <laughs> which, uh, which kind of illustrates how huge a weekend this may have been for one Tommy Bridewell. Uh, let's oh, explain. Wow. Um, because when we go through the overall result, it's Yamaha Factory Racing on the 21 that wins it um, by 30.9 seconds from Red Bull Honda Japan Post in second, Kawasaki Team Green in third. And in fourth position, S-Pulse Dream Racing. Who are they here, oh, wow. you ask? Well, um, they're an independent Suzuki uh, team. And they owe a lot of their success down to Tommy Bridewell, who did, by all accounts, straight, more than half of the race himself on that bike. Pretty much took the tip of one of his fingers off pre-race as well. Um, yep. If you're squeamish, don't go to Tommy Bridewell's Twitter, whatever you do. Don't do um, it. Because it's, it is a grim sight. So he was doing it under those circumstances as well. Um, in the middle of the race, during the safety car period, he did a stint. Essentially, he was on the bike for two hours straight. Um, Jesus Christ. At which point that he was quoted by MCN on Twitter saying that when he got the bike, he says, I don't want to see another motorbike again. <laughs> Given how long he'd been on the bike. Um, and he oh, said no. in the closing stages of the race as well that he just could not go any faster. He was so fatigued and he was basically in a no man's land where he was a lap behind the Team Green Kawasaki and a lap ahead uh, of the bike in fifth that there was no point pushing. And he says, I just brought it home for a strong result, secretly hoping there'd be a Kawasaki or a Honda parked up with smoke coming off it in the final <laughs> few laps. Um, and it would have got him on the podium. But based on the fact that Tommy Bridewell Dre spent a lot of this year between jobs, um, yes. he, he was with the WD40 Kawasaki team, he left them, he's now with Moto Rapido Ducati. That could be a career-changing weekend for Tommy Bridewell. Oh my gosh, yeah. We we never talked about this on Black Live when it happened, but WD40 team in Kawasaki, and he was mysteriously sacked just before qualifying. Yeah, mid and mid-weekend at Snetterton, it was just all of a sudden that Bridewell had just been sacked out of nowhere and no real reason given any sort of press release or to MCN or anything along those lines. Mysteriously, Bridewell was just chopped from that team. He was picked up a couple of months later by the Motorpedo Ducati team, um, formerly where John Hopkins was a couple of years back before he had his horror crash. Um, the poor guy, but Bridewell in the 46 is back in BSB, which is good to hear. He's, he's always been a talented rider, former race winner in the series. And yes, absolutely. He's been struggling with employment issues pretty much all year long. He's gone out there and he might be the overall MVP of the weekend. Bridewell was sensational for this Suzuki team. And like he, he did the backbone of the work. The rest of the team knew what they had in Bridewell being just way faster than everybody else on that team they knew they had to build their effort around him and bridewell did an absolutely sensational job if you go on his twitter and and you, if you can dodge the uh, gruesome part of his injury yeah. there is a celebration video on his twitter and uh you can hear him pull up alongside for the victory celebrations they bring the whole paddock together and you could just hear his team just shout tommy san and give him just yeah. enormous enormous hugs as a result they were so grateful 
for the shift that he had put in. Bridewell was phenomenal um, for that team. And fourth place for an independent team is a sensational result for the Suzuki out of it. So congratulations to Bridewell and the team. That was a truly magnificent effort from everyone involved there, and especially Bridewell, who, again, might have just saved his career with that performance. <laughs> yeah, he did. It was, a, it was a terrific, terrific performance from Bridewell. As I mentioned, for to essentially do... Well, he, he did the lion's share within his team, but he essentially did half of the race and more himself um, last weekend. Uh, an incredible effort. Um, he's gone from that to um, taking the drop at Spinnaker Tower um, earlier today in the run-up to the Thruxton BSB round. And, uh, of yeah, course. Um, he, um, yeah, he used a few words beginning with F as he was being lowered from that tower as well. So it's uh, been quite a week for Tommy Bridewell. <laughs> Um, as uh, as MCN tweeted BSB's official account saying, did you not have the bleep machine at the ready uh, at BS, official BSB? Uh, they clearly didn't. Um, as nope. uh, Bridewell told us all what he thought of the drop uh, down from the Spinnaker Tower. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's been quite the week for him. Um, he took the S-Pulse Dream Suzuki to fourth. As we mentioned, the quote-unquote factory Suzuki team, the Yoshimura team um, on the number 20, on the uh, number 12, should I say, uh, that was running Gintoli Suda and Bradley Ray Lost a lot of time early on. They did claw themselves up to 10th by the end, and they earned, they owe a lot of that down to the performance of Bradley Ray, um, who was being praised afterwards by no less than the Suzuki MotoGP team boss, um, Davide Brivio. Um, so, um, again, it, he's, he's not had the easiest summer so far, has he, Bradley Ray? But again, his performances at times like this clearly demonstrate just what an incredible future he has. And it's clear that the uh, very top brass at Suzuki, Dre, think a lot of him. Oh, yeah. Um, let, let's be clear here, folks. Um, he's impressing the right people. Let, let, let's say that. Um, yeah, again, let's not forget, he's still, he's still only 21 years old. Yes, he's had a bit of a dodgy summer. He's not been able to match the dizzying heights he had in Donington when he had that sensational double victory. So he has been struggling since then. But... Um, again, he was very impressive here. Again, led the charge for for the team after after Gintoli's unfortunate mishap. He was fast in qualifying. He was well liked within the team. And you know when Suzuki's MotoGP boss is praising you in public after a, a, a very impressive uh, performance, indeed. Um, yeah, uh, he he was he was fantastic. He did he did a great great job. And uh, yeah, again, impressing the right people. And uh, yeah. This kid's going to have a very bright future if he keeps this up. He's just going to you know, screw his head back on in BSB and just let that let that talent be on full display because he's certainly got an abundance of it. Mm, absolutely, yeah. A, a great weekend for Bradley Ray, and uh, hopefully he can take some of that confidence into this weekend uh, as British Superbikes returns to action at Thruxton. Um, let, let's run you through the result then. Um, as I mentioned, Yamaha Factory Racing on the 21, they won it. Um, doing one short of 200 laps, uh, winning by 30.9 seconds from Red Bull Honda Japan post. Kawasaki Team Green, the number 11 bike in third, a lap behind um, ahead of S-Pulse Dream Racing, who were two laps further back in fourth. Um, congratulations go out to FCC TSR Honda, um, the team of Alan Tesha, Freddie Foray, um, and Josh Hook, the Australian. Uh, they yes. finished fifth overall. And with that, become the Endurance World Champions um, for 2017-18. So uh, Honda, and it is a Japanese team. um, First ever Japanese team to win the championship. First ever Japanese team to win the Endurance World Championship. First Honda team to win the championship for a number of years as well. Um, I believe Honda have only won the Endurance World Championship themselves once before. 
Uh, so shout out to them. Um, in a race where we thought, for good reason, um, that the regular European-based endurance teams were going to struggle to finish inside the top 10, they finished fifth. Um, which is a, a brilliant, brilliant effort. Um, just three laps behind the winners uh, in the end. Um, beating their nearest championship rivals, Yamaha GMT94, um, who themselves had a great race, finished sixth. Um, they were the two going for the championship in the end. FCC TSR Honda had a 10-point lead going in um, and would have won the championship anyway with fifth place wherever GMT94 finished, but they beat them in the end in the race anyway to win the title. GMT94, who were the reigning champions, um, finishing in sixth overall, the team of Mike Demeglio, the former 125 world champion, Nicolo Canepa, and David Checker. Um, they were in sixth. Honda Asia Dream Racing, seventh. KYB Moroaki Motul Racing. Now, they have a story to tell as well. They finished eighth after the uh, kamikaze call from Yuji Kiyonari to start the race on slicks, um, which, was, <laughs> which, which was brilliant. They fell to 55th. Um, in the early stages. Um, Kianari did soon start setting fastest laps on that, so he soon got up to speed on it, but they were way too far back by the time that they got that bike. God bless Kianari. What's a nonsense? Um, and they were, only running a, they were only had a two-rider team as well. Kianari and Yuki Takahashi, um, a former wow. Moto2 race winner. Um, so um, so they were um, having to um, you know, do the job of three riders between the two of them. Um, they clawed their way up to eighth in the end. Um, so well done to them. Just ahead of Honda Endurance Racing, uh, the British-based team that um, was uh, the th- they finished third overall in the Endurance World Championship um, over the course of the season. Uh, the team of Erwan Nigon, Sebastian Gimbert, and Yoni Hernandez. Um, and, uh, Yoni! and completing the top ten, um, the aforementioned Yoshimura Suzuki team uh, of uh, Takuya Suda, Slavin Gatoli, and Bradley Ray. Um, a tremendous Suzuka eight hours of 2018. Um, it ended in style with a brilliant performance from the 21 Yamahas. Congratulations to them as they win for a fourth year in a row. Right, let's do the news. Not a lot of it, but the uh, main news story, again, focuses on the Endurance World Championship. So you Endurance fans are getting a special this week um, from us here at Bike Live because the big news surrounds the uh, calendar for, well, not next season, but the season after. Um, essentially, the 2019-20 season. Um, because there's going to be a new round rate uh, on the Endurance World Championship mm-hmm. calendar. It's going to uh, fill the, uh, s- the winter break for us all. So there's going to be some... Uh, world-class world championship motorcycle racing in december take that f1 um yeah and and it's gonna take place at sepang the sepang eight hours this the more we read about this race the more excited we get yes this is also going to be the first time since sepang will be rang with the floodlights um i did not realize this until reading today that Sepang's installed in floodlights, so this is going to be a night race, um, or it's going to effectively finish as a night race. Uh, and by the time it's all said and done across the eight hours, and uh, yeah, like, amazingly, this was chosen by the fans of Sepang itself in Malaysia as to what they wanted to have 
as a replacement to them losing the, the Formula One round that they had obviously last year's Malaysian Grand Prix was the last uh, they were going to have under their yeah, current contract. Just, just put uh, it into context that the the fans, the Malaysian fans specifically chose an eight-hour world endurance motorcycle race to replace the Formula One Grand Prix they were hosting there. They're amazing. Like, can, can Malaysia decide everything, please? <laughs> like, like I'm here for all of this. Um, um, fantastic. And uh, yeah, I know Malaysia are, are a bike mad country. They a lot of Southeast Asia love their bikes, and yeah, Malaysia is no different. And you know, their, their MotoGP event sells out every year. It is a goddamn sea of yellow at the Turn One Grandstand every single year at Sepang without fail. And they've got and now they have another premier level bike race to add to their to add to their portfolio. By uh, yeah, having the having an eight hours in endurance race there, and not just that, it is now a qualifying event for the Suzuka eight hours as well. Which means anyone that intends to run in the eight hours of Suzuka this time next year has to run the same team at this race at Sepang. So you now. The championship has been very clever in the sense of, well, if you want to bring in all these big names and you want to make it an all-star race, if you're taking this that seriously, show up to this race too, basically. So now, some of these great other riders you don't normally see in endurance racing, you know, like Nakagami and Lowe's and Van der Mark, etc., etc., they're now going to be running twice a year instead of once, and it's not going to clash the MotoGP yeah, calendar they're, they're, either. they're dangling the carrot by putting it in the middle of December when the uh, the winter break is um, is in full effect. No rider Absolutely. in any championship can claim that the calendar, the schedule, prevents them from taking part. Um, they're they're all they're all available. They're all free. They can all take part. And uh, and yeah, as we as Dre mentions, if you if you want to take part in the Suzuka Eight Hour, this essentially will be if you want to take place in the 2020 um, Suzuka Eight Hour. So it was this won't affect next year's Eight Hour at Suzuka. Um, you will hmm. have to you'll have to take part in the previous year's Sepang race, which will be. December 2019, so what, 15 months from now, um, mm-hmm. next year. Um, and it is going to be a tremendous spectacle um, at Tepang. Um, and yeah, it will essentially form a bit of a, a dummy run as well for the potential of a MotoGP night race um, around Tepang as well um, in 2020. So um, yeah, Tepang doing all the right things um, to, you know, not just to endear themselves to MotoGP fans, but just to motorcycle fans, because it, it's another... It's another feather in the cap of the Endurance World Championship, which has, um, it has to be said, as, as much as we enjoy the Suzuka 8 Tower, it's a fairly short calendar with um, only, what, five or six rounds, three of which are based in France, um, or two of which are based in France, the Bold Door and the uh, Le Mans 24 Hour, which are both 24-hour races, um, and the Le Mans 24 Hour race is really a, that in name only. It's nowhere near the, uh, the equivalence of four wheels because it's a 24-hour race around the Bugatti track. Um, which sucks balls. So, um, so yeah, it's it's not quite the same as uh, as the equivalent on four wheels. Um, so to have a race like this, a high prestige race at Sepang, uh, a high prestige endurance race in Asia, which is a first for this championship, and the fact that it is intertwined with the Suzuka Eight Hour, um, and it's going to form the same uh, format as the Eight Hour, where you're going to have uh, pre qualifying and a top ten Super Bowl shootout on the Saturday as well. To form the grid, mm-hmm. um, it is essentially going to be the same as the Suzuka Great Tower, but at Sepang, basically. So, uh, so much to look forward to with this race, which will be debuting at the end of 2019, um, and we look forward to following that. And as I mentioned, it will uh, it will form a qualifying event for the 2020 Suzuka Eight Hour. Uh, right, Ducati news. If you listened to last week's show, you'll have uh, heard us talk about the uh, Ducati auction that was taking place on eBay. 
um, to uh, basically sell off the auction off the 13 uh, Ducati V4 Panigales that had been running at their uh, World Ducati Day Race of Champions event at Misano. Um, all 13 have been sold. Unfortunately, our Patreon fund didn't quite stretch us far enough to bid for one of these bikes. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll try again next time if they do it again next year. Um, but um, when you see what some of these bikes fetched for, um, you can understand how we didn't win. Um, yeah. Because the bike that went for the most money, basically, it was the bike ridden by Troy Bayliss, unsurprisingly. Yes. Dre, it went for no less than 120,000 euros. So, in other words, for those guys that are a bit slow on the conversions, in Queen's English, that's over £100,000. Um, that's Audi R8 money. Um, that's a lot of money to spend on a superbike. That's I know people that have bought former race-running superbikes for less money than that. I know Tommy Hill was trying to sell his old championship bike at one point for a lot less than a hundred grand. Let's put it that way. Mm. So yeah, that's a lot of money for a bike. I hope it's going to a good home because uh it's a work of art, that thing, and anything with Troy Bayliss's name and settings on it, I want in my back garden. So yeah. uh, congratulations, sir, sir Amanda. I do hope you enjoy it. And uh, just don't crash it, please, for the yeah, love it'll be, of God. It'll be in some Dubai office somewhere, won't it? Um, but, um, <laughs> it's a waste. Is, yeah, what a waste of a motorcycle. Uh, but yeah, just to give you the uh, the full story of these bikes, if you weren't listening last week, um, the bikes, um, to quote the Ducati press release, which dropped today as we record this, August the 2nd, uh, as they announced the sale of these bikes. Um, they feature exclusive livery and graphics dedicated to their individual riders, um, with colour schemes drawing their inspiration from the bikes used in the MotoGP or Superbike races, depending on which uh, championship they race in. Um, so Davizioso's bike essentially has his MotoGP livery on it. Um, on each steering yoke, a badge shows the rider's name and race number. Each rider's indelible autograph on the tank, plus a certificate of authenticity signed by Claudio Domenicali, the CEO of Ducati, oh, and wow. the rider himself, adding to its value. To complete this exclusive bike, each comes with a series of special components used during the race of champions and a complete set of original parts, exhaust included, required for legal road use. So in theory... This bike could overtake you on the M1 on Monday if uh, someone near you has bought it. You could see a bike yes. kitted out in Jorge Lorenzo's 99 livery, a V4 Panigale, which essentially has been sent to uh, the, the winning bidder, not just with the exclusive livery, not just with the rider's autograph and a certificate from the CEO of Ducati, but a complete set of original parts which enable you to ride this thing on the road legally. Whew. Oh Lord! Um... Yeah. Excuse us for a minute <laughs> while we uh, while we could pause. And, and <coughs> yeah, Ooh. and when you go through some of the other bikes that sold as well, Davizioso, Malandri, Lorenzo, and Piro, um, as well as Petrucci. So basically, the MotoGP riders plus Malandri, um, their bikes went for between forty thousand and sixty-two thousand four hundred euros as well uh, each. Yeah. Um, which again is eye-watering money. Um, whilst the bikes with uh, the bikes ridden by Miller Davies, who uh, of course missed this event through injury, uh, Tito Rabat, Xavi Forres, Carol Abraham, Michael Ruben Rinaldi, and Xavier Simeon uh, also sold for um, five-figure sums as well. Um, so uh, incredible, uh, incredible job done by Ducati in the interest they drew up. Drew, uh, they drummed up over seven million views between their Instagram and Facebook accounts during the time this auction was taking place. 
Um, mm-hmm. So they certainly got the word out there. Um, and uh, World Ducati Week, as they called it, I think we could call it a success, um, the way it panned out uh, last week. D- uh, decent little learner for them. Decent little learner, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they probably, they probably need to raise the money with all the money they've spent on Jorge Lorenzo over the last year and a half. Um, but, but anyway, um, BSB news. Um, and uh, a bit of news to kind of tie as nicely into what's coming up this weekend at Thruxton, um, where BSB returns. Uh, Dan Linford won't be there for the next two rounds. He'll be replaced by the youngster Tom Neve, the 23-year-old from Lincolnshire, um, who turned up earlier this season in the Stock Thousand Championship and immediately set some very impressive performances up um, on his Superstock bike, which obviously caught the eye of some BSB teams, most notably Honda. They've called him in to replace Limfoot. Um, and whilst we're delighted for Tom Neeb, Drake, uh, it's Limfoot really that we feel massively so for, as well has his entire team, because this is essentially a season-ending crash. He's going to be back in action, all things being well, for Silverstone, problem is that's the final round before the showdown and by the time Dan Limpup races again the season will be 16 races old and he'll have only started seven of them yeah he's probably going to be back for the final round before the showdown itself the Silverstone um round and uh that's a triple header but uh yeah it's uh it's it's a bummer because like Linfoot and O'Halloran are good enough to be in the show they've been staples of the showdown for the last two or three years now and they've done incredible work in bringing that new fireblade into more relevance in competition than anyone else has been able to so far. So yeah, I could, I, I, it's it's a real shame because Linfoot's season has been, been ravaged and Honda is in general. So Hanneran has lost time and he's clearly not back at 100% since that injury either that he that he, that he came back from the, the, when he got one of the best opportunities of his career to go out there and wildcard. I'm um, in the World Superbike race at uh, at Imola. Um, so yeah, when you when you factor all of that in it's uh it's been a, a wretched right off of a season of Honda. Then probably now linfoot will, mo- will almost definitely not make the showdown now and o'halloran is still struggling i think he's going to struggle to make it in as well given that uh we have got i'd say six very fast guys at the moment so yeah it's a real shame um for, uh, for, for linfoot for honda racing in general that's really worked very hard to get to this position and uh yeah, I, I hope Linford comes back quick, but uh, it's a real shame that he's had just such awful luck. It is. It is a real shame. Well, uh, let's look ahead then to what is happening this weekend, starting with what takes place at Thruxton. Uh, you'll be relying on me, listeners, to tell you all about this next week. So, of course, Dre will be watching the other uh, key motorcycle event taking place this weekend. A decent um, event. From trackside. He's got a good excuse. Um, but in terms of BSB yeah. this weekend, Dre, um, this, interestingly... Um, is a circuit on the calendar, and I believe it's the only one, that Leon Haslam has never won at. He has never won at Thruxton in his BSB career, um, which obviously presents an opportunity to everyone else. It's the fastest circuit on the calendar, which obviously lends itself to perhaps bikes that are more uh, that have more top end than the Kawasaki. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting weekend, not just for people to try and claim a showdown spot, but pres- possibly it presents an opportunity for the likes of Brooks, the likes of Bradley Ray perhaps, um, the likes of Glenn Irwin, for instance, who are not riding on Kawasaki's, to perhaps pull back some pr- crucial podium points. Yes, like Haslam has struggled around here, and probably the biggest reason why is because his riding style's never been complimentary for tyres. It, it was very noticeable at Brand Hatch last time out how Haslam was at pains to point out how his Kawasaki just did not have the top end speed to match the Yamaha or the Ducati. Yeah, and we're now going to the fastest round on the calendar and a track that, uh, again, had 
big on tire wear and uh yeah it, it it adds up it it adds up and um he he struggles around here for good reason his riding style just not conducive to it and Kawasaki's never been the fastest bike in a straight line um this i think has got josh brooks written all over it i really do i think he's always gone well around Fruxton. um this was really last one yeah like one there last year this is really when he went when he had that title campaign this really was when he really started to turn the screw on the championship and i remember the story when he won the, the first one that yamaha three years ago they had they, they the the yokel um yamaha dealership sold 15 more r1s the week afterwards what wins on sunday sells on monday kids um so yeah josh brooks is big around here he's always been fast around here and if brooks really is the much hyped title threat um to to leon hasn't that i think we're kind of secretly hoping for a little bit um yeah, this is going to be the one where he's going to have to do some damage because it's 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 looking like this is probably going to be uh, the race where Hazem's the weekend Hazem's going to struggle the most. So if anyone wants to come open, win both races, and you know make it a bit more interesting, feel free. Josh, I'm looking at you. Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, Brooks did win there last year. It was his first win of the year at Thruxton last year, um, and one of only two one one of only two wins he had pre-showdown. Obviously, he only had three all the entire season because he won the final race of last season um, at Brands Hatch, the race that very early saw him sneak the title um, from under the mm-hmm. nose of Burn and then Haslam in the end. Um, Peter Hickman, of course, won the other race last season on the BM, and we've not really seen much from Indeed. him so far this year either. Um, he's probably too far back to uh, claw his way into showdown contention, but if he can somehow match that performance from last year, we know the BMs are uh, quick down a straight. Um, who knows? Um, Christian Iden and Michael Laverty then may be the riders to look for as they try and force their way into the showdown. This might be their big opportunity um, to claw back some points and get themselves into top six contention. Um, but we shall see. MotoGP, though, is in action this weekend as well as it returns from its summer break. Um, and we'll allow ourselves a bit of self-indulgence before we talk about the racing itself. Dre, first of all, who's, how who, much who, who's this week? Well, <laughs> who's this week? It's you. Um, because how much? <laughs> because how much are you looking forward, first of all, to to being there yourself this weekend? Very and what, excited. One of the great motorcycle venues. Oh God, yeah. It, this is one of the blue ribbon rounds for, for MotoGP on the calendar. It, it is a massive sellout. There's going to be over a hundred thousand people on race day. Um, it's the first round back after the summer break. It's, it's good to be excited in the air for bikes again. Um, yeah, this is this is going to be big, and um, I can't wait. I'm, I mean, we're recording this on Thursday night. I'm going to be in the skies in about. Just under just under fourteen hours time, so um, I won't be there for practice, but I'm there for Saturday and Sunday for qualifying and the race. And yes, I'm very very excited for to actually. This is the first time I've ever seen a MotoGP event in person. I've done a couple of BSB events in the past at Brands Hatch, but this is the first time I'm going to be there for a MotoGP event, and I can't wait to see um, see all these bikes and all these classes in person. So uh, yeah, I got it. I was very lucky to win a competition uh, to, with Monster Energy to win tickets for it. So shout out to them. Um, I'm only going to drink Rossi cans from here on until the end of time. Mm-hmm. Snapple is officially retired. Um, but uh, yes, I'm very excited for this and I can't wait to see him all in action. I get to see Marquez in the flesh. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it is. I, mean, I have to say, I mean, um, I've, I've only had them Silverstone the last four years and hopefully we're doing it again this year. It still doesn't get old, even last year. And, you know, no matter how many times I go. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it, it's no matter how good you think it is, it's better than that. Um, yes watching it trackside so um so yeah have a have a great time um, thank you man in, in terms of the racing you're going to watch though um mm. it's 
I mean, I guess in many respects it is a difficult one to call, although your instinct is immediately to go to Marquez. Um, but this isn't necessarily a circuit uh, on the calendar that favours any particular bike, does it? It's a bit of a blank canvas. It always has been. It's 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 got a little bit of everything: lengthy straights, flowing corners, sharp corners because of all the chicanes the track has got. Some mobility is going to be a factor. Acceleration is going to be a factor, especially coming up the hill on the second half of the lap. The track's got a little bit of everything, and there's been no outright dominant manufacturer on this track for quite some time, which kind of makes this weekend a bit of a crapshoot. I don't really have a solid guess as to who's going to win this race. Um, the bookies seem to be pretty sure. Mark Marquez is 4-7 to seven favorite going into this one. No one else is within 6-1, to one, which I think is baffling in my mind that, mm. that everybody but Marquez is at least 6-1. to one. I would get some money on Dovi at 9s, quite frankly. Um, I think that's the smart money. 19-10, to 10, he's on the podium if, you, if you're that way inclined. I think that's where the smart money is on this one. Um, but f- f- like the, the characteristics of Bruno don't make it obvious. Let's put it that way. And... I, I like Marquez is probably of the, like, well, probably is the best all round r- rider in the field right now, and he hasn't really got a bad round at the moment. He's performed just about everywhere so far this season, so he is the go to name. But uh, I think it could be another case again where you know Ducati could ruffle the feathers. Valentino Rossi just keeps getting on the podium some way somehow on that fundamentally flawed Yamaha, but. Uh, they keep finding a way to stay competitive. And if the Yamaha is good, Maverick is bound to be in there as well. So it's it's close. I don't think it's it's as obvious as, as Marquez's landslide favourite. And I think that's what's going to make it so intriguing in the end. No, it tends to tends to reward the best overall package because it has a bit of everything, Bruno. And I mean, the last two races, they have been won by Hondas. Marquez last year, Crutchlow the year before. But both of those were heavily rain-affected races, mm-hmm. um, which obviously muddied the waters a bit. Um Whereas I think last year, it wasn't Marquez on pole from Rossi last year in, in qualifying on the Saturday in, in dry conditions. So it was very close between the two in the, in the dry. Um, and it may well be the same again um, this weekend. Um, Moto2 is looking fascinating, isn't it? Because this, this rapidly changing championship battle, it fluctuates from one way to the next between Banyaya and Oliveira. Um, difficult to know how that's going to go because it just seems wherever that KTM qualifies, they still find their way to the front. They do. They they're just they're so good in terms of race pace. They're really good at getting their tires up to speed. They just have this really good knack of just being super super fast right off the start of races. Miguel Oliveira has been the comeback king pretty much all season long, with you know compensating for poor overall qualifying speed, maybe being half a second off where the Calexes are in terms of outright pace, but still plowing through the field in the early goings and getting into getting back into contention. It's happened several times so far this season as it is. And yeah, I don't see any reason why that won't continue here. Um, I have to wait and see if KTM's done any work in the off season um, during the summer break to maybe you know get them into play. But uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Banyaya is probably going to be walking into this one as favourite. But once again, like there's five or six dudes out there that could realistically go go and challenge him from Quattararo to Oliveira to Binder to Baldassari. We don't know going into these weekends how it's going to play out. And that is very intriguing for this championship at the mm. moment. Uh, and Moto3, I mean, Jorge Martin obviously goes in his favourite. This was the circuit where he took his first ever Grand Prix rostrum. Um, in the uh, in the wet conditions of 2016 on the Mahindra where he was second uh, to John McPhee. Um, on the day that McPhee took his first win. Um, 
he goes in his favourite, Dre, but this, I mean, first of all, I'm um, I'm duty-bound to mention whenever we have a Moto3 race at Bruno that this was the place where Alex Rins celebrated a lap short of the flag. Um, <laughs> because that's the, that's what we all think of when we think of Moto3 at Bruno. Still funny. Um, but I mean, this is a circuit which, Hawking my team will of course have uh, other ideas, but this is a Moto3 track which lends itself to one of those classic bunch, scrum, bunch scraps at the front because it's a slipstream track. It is indeed. Like, if there's one track Jorge Martin to turn around, it will be here. Watch how he does it on Sunday and makes me look stupid for this comment. Yeah. Um, but um, this so is the track horse, that is... Some of these long straights uphill. Like, they, they call that last straight horsepower hill for a reason. Yeah, like, the, it's it's virtually impossible right, to break the toe around here because there are so many lengthy straights in the context of Moto3. There's so many uphill climbs where the lead bike will struggle. The extra downforce running behind the, the bike behind will will bring them into play um, coming back up the hill. So I, I, Martin's going to be in for a dogfight this time around. And if there's going to be a dogfight, Marco Bezzecchi will most likely be in there. Probably Aaron Canet and probably about half the Moto3 field by the time it's all said and done. I still remember a couple of years ago when I think it was Paul Carroll Hanukkah, which is a weird thing to say, finished in finished 1.5 seconds off the win and didn't score a point. This is how crazy Bruno can get. So uh, strap yourselves in. It will probably be the race of the weekend. You heard it here first. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an entertaining weekend. Uh, by all accounts, the uh, weather forecast is is pretty set fair, so there's not gonna be any any rain to affect the outcome. Um, Thirty degrees weekend. all weekend. Scorchio, <laughs> um, as they say. Um, so it's so a drive pack the uh, sun lotion. Um, but it's um, yeah, but yeah. It is a, it is a circuit that particularly in Moto three tends to lend itself to uh, to action and uh, and it quite more often than not new winners as we've seen. We've seen uh, McPhee take his first win there. We've seen Antonelli take his first win there. Um, yeah, stuff tends to happen in the lightweight class around Bruno. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we look forward to following it all. Whatever happens, we'll review it next week. Dre will have his uh, check stories to tell um, this time next week. Have a good time, Dre. We'll look forward to your company next week. Thank you, sir. Um, we'll be back for episode 72 to review um, the Thruxton British Superbike action as well as uh, the MotoGP from the Czech Republic as uh, MotoGP gets into a very, very busy time of the year now with uh, Austria following on a week after Bruno and Silverstone two weeks after that as well. Um, so a lot to come in the coming weeks on Bike Live. A uh, lot to come in terms of both of our weekly shows because Motorsport 101 returns next week um, for episode 154. Um, now, as of the time of recording, Dre, I don't think we have a plan in place yet, do we, for, for next week's show? I mean, we have the one on the back burner um, from our Patreon back a few weeks ago of the uh, of the team of the motor motor race of nations or whatever it was um, of, of naming a, a motorsport team based on each individual nation. But in terms of our three sort of our triple crown of four wheeled events that we cover on Motorsport One One, none of them are racing. We got none. Uh, F one is out for a month. IndyCar is out for. Till uh, they're back at Pocono on the we I think it's the weekend of the twenty first or something like that. So uh, there'll be no IndyCar there either. Um, and yeah, of course, Formula E is off to December now, which is freaking useful. Um, yeah. So yeah, as it stands at the moment, we got nothing. Um, <laughs> so uh, we will figure this out. I'm, I, I got a feeling we'll probably end up talking about NASCAR at Watkins Glen, which is always a, a, a fun time for all involved. Um, it's one of the craziest NASCAR races on the calendar. I know RJ will watch it. I know there's a Super GT event coming up this as well. I think, I think RJ wants to put a, together a watch party for it as well, so keep half an eye on our social media regarding that um, as well. So we'll probably 
hit up the mailbag next week of some variety as well to fill the time out because yeah we, we we're in a bit of we're in a bit of the dark ages now for the next fortnight or so so bear with us but we will figure something out and have some meaningful sort of show episode one three four next week hey given i get back into my house about 7 p.m last night i may actually get back in time for it we'll have to wait and see but uh tentatively i could be on that show still wait and see we shall see. Uh, either way, we'll uh, we'll be back for both of our weekly shows next week. Even when we have nothing to talk about, we still manage to cobble together a show. It's what we do around here. Um, yeah, we do. So, uh, so yeah, join us next week. Episode 72 of Bike Live and episode 154 of Motorsport 101. Between now and then, though, the places you can find us, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 at motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter. Keep an eye on that for all the news of uh, our weekly shows and everything that happens in between. Um, our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, we're planning another Formula One watch party very, very soon over there. Next uh, Wednesday. Next Wednesday. So keep it over for that. Will that be Brazil 2012? It will be indeed. Brazil 2012. So get an eye, keep an eye on that next Wednesday night around sort of 8, 9 p.m. Um, we'll, as I say, we will confirm the times between now and then. Um, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 will be the place to go to watch it. Uh, our website is motorsport101.com and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both of our weekly shows uh, it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 we appreciate your continued support over there um, thanks to all of you for listening thanks to Dre for joining me for this week's roundup of the Suzuka 8 hour where team green uh, were beaten by the dream team we will see you next week